everybody, and as always, thank you for being here. We're just grateful that you've taken your time out to join us in this conversation. Today we're going to be turning to Luke chapter 23, and it's going to be the, the second statement that we're going to cover of Jesus from the cross, and, but it's the, uh, actually the first statement that he made. Um, this is a series that we began three weeks ago called Who is Jesus? And we're seeking to know him more. And so I hope that you have your Bibles with you and that you're able to find Luke 23 relatively quickly. We're going to be beginning in verse number 32. And I initially have on there that we're going to read just through 34. But this morning I was reading that entire passage. And I just want to share that with you because it, just reading the scripture and just trying to get a picture of the day uh, is helpful for me. And I hope it is for you too. And so we're going to get a bigger, bigger swath of scripture than initially thought. And here it goes. It's chapter 23 of Luke, beginning in verse number 32. The word of the Lord says this. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, where they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there also hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you even fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then Jesus said, Remember me, or then he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. So in this series, uh, our primary purpose in spending time analyzing the seven different statements that Jesus um, stated from the cross is an effort to know him more. And truly, as uh, believers, that should be a primary focus in all of our lives, to know Him more. Because to know Him as Lord um, brings us eternal life for sure. But to know Him in a deep and intimate way brings us life abundant here on earth, because that's what He said would take place if we draw near to Him. And so we don't want to live this life with some sort of a, a superficial faith, but we want to truly understand um, what we claim to believe. And so we read our Bibles for all they're worth, and, and we uh, grab uh, just the abundance of outside literature that, we, uh, are, that is at our fingertips now, literally. Um, and we just study, and we just love Him, and we pray, and in that way, our desire to know Him more, and even in an intimate way, will, be, will move down the road by each one of our decisions to know Him more. 
And so in light of that statement of knowing him more, I'd like to start today really by sharing something that that I've been trying to kind of un- more uncover more deep in a deeper way in just in the last few weeks. And it's that statement or the doctrinal understanding that Jesus came to earth and he was fully God and fully man. Now, just like you, you know, I believe that and and I've studied it in the past and I thought I have a pretty good handle on it. But I, I tell you, I've been thinking about it since we started this ther- series, and I think it might be the critical understanding that we must have if we want to know Jesus and have as, as a clear of an understanding of who he was and really what he did for us. Now, from if you'll turn your Bible just a, a page or two, I want to look at John chapter 1 because that kind of puts us in the, right in the middle of that fully God, fully man. Because, you know, John chapter 1, verse number 1, begins just like this. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. He was, nothing was before Him. He was always. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Son that we know, the Son of God that we know as Jesus, always was and always will be. And He was God. He was with God in the beginning. We skip down to verse number 14. The Word became flesh. He was fully God, and He became fully man. And He made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Fully God and fully man. I don't know if you know this or not, but the church, um, the beginning of the church, for the first 400 years, they they spent time trying to get their minds, their human minds, wrapped around what this truly meant. Um, well, actually, it was just the first the first 300 years they were running for their lives, and it was uh, later on in, in about three 324, uh, Constantine became the emperor of Rome. And it just so happens in 312, he got saved. And so he brought Christianity not only with him, but he made it legal. And so throughout the empire, um, the church fathers were able to get together in councils. They were no longer isolated or quarantined. But they were able to get together and discuss this, just really what we're trying to get our minds wrapped around today. What does that mean, fully God, fully man, and how does that impact my life as I live it? prior to getting to go home to heaven. And so we have those resources um, that uh, we're able to grab now, that they work through, and, and really ever since that time, great theologians have been digesting it and then trying to speak to people uh, just like us, just like me, in a way that we might be able to, to grasp it. And so uh, today I'm not trying to speak at all in depth of that, but I just want you to kind of consider this that Jesus was two natures, and they were, but they were not separated or they were commingled. They coexisted in one person. And so Jesus walked this world in his human mind and in his human body, yet he attained perfect obedience and to the Father and lived a perfect, sinless life. I heard the other day this guy told me that uh, his preacher, who is a well-known preacher, he said, if you don't really quite understand all of this, join the club. Because for 2,000 years now, people have been struggling to get this. But I think it's very important. 
because what took that place on the cross required Christ's human choice to go through with what he knew lay ahead. He told the disciples more than once that he must suffer and he must die in order for the sin of men to be taken away. He knew what was going to take place. Nonetheless, he continued on because he said that he had come to finish the work of the Father, and that is the restoration of sinful man back into his fold. So having a solid understanding of this doctrine is important for us. And, and I tell you why. is because if we want to have just the superficial understanding of, hey, how do I get to heaven? Well, then that's, that's calling on him for repentance. And Scripture says that you will be saved. But if we want to know how it is that as believers, as Christ followers, we can navigate the often murky waters of this world and, and know how to respond when the bottom falls out of absolutely everything we held dear, as it sometimes does, then we're going to want to know for sure and have settled in our minds that Jesus loved us so much that he stopped at nothing he gave everything and endured everything in order to save you and to save me from the sins that we have committed. God himself was willing to come to earth, climb a cross, in order to allow me and you the opportunity to escape the punishment of the eternal fire that we deserved. for fear of being repetitive, for day, today we have to begin to settle in our minds that Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, willingly and knowingly chose to give up his life for us. We must never diminish that incredible act by speaking in error and saying somehow because he was God, he was be able, able to somehow hit a default switch. And it wasn't as as merciless as the scripture that we just read sounds. Because Jesus Christ experienced fully the human condition of pain and sorrow and betrayal and brutality. And incredibly enough, he knew it was coming and he did it anyhow. And incredibly, at this very point, we hear him say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. He says that word, Father. The first statement from the cross, after the humiliation of the days prior, all the thing that had taken place, the first statement, as is the last statement we'll find in the coming weeks, really begins with a prayer. Father. That's how he told us. He taught us to pray. Father, right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So Jesus is hanging from the cross, and the very first thing he does is pray. This is a great indication that despite the excruciating pain and what had taken place, he most certainly had not lost his confidence in the goodness of the Father's will. In fact, he still had the resolve to continue on experiencing trauma 
yet he was there for a purpose, and he had resolved to finish the mission of love that he had come for, and his faith that the Father was still present and listening was undiminished. Even more extraordinary than that, I think, is the word he said next. He said, Father, forgive them. (laughs) In the circumstances that he was in, he turns to the Lord to pray, but not about himself, but for others. When he said, Father, he began to pray, indicating that he loved the Father, but now he's praying also for others. Father, forgive them. And we have to think it's not just the ones who beat him or the soldiers who were below him um, dividing up his clothes with no concern of the anguish that was just above him. It wasn't the Jews who yelled from the street, crucify him. It wasn't just Peter, who his best friend, who had denied him. It wasn't the other disciples who ran. It was all of that. I have to think it was me too. And you. Yet while we were enemies of the cross, Christ Jesus chose to die for us. And most certainly that old song that says, were you there when they crucified my Lord? (laughs) The answer is a resounding yes. In fact, it was because of me that he had the stripes on his back and the nails in his hands and his feet and the crown of thorns, but yet he chose to be there. And he says, Father, forgive them. Why should he? He said, because they do not know what they are doing. You have to think, you know, the folks that were there that day who were making fun and carrying on and despising him and saying horrible things in this terrible hour, if they had known who he was, if they truly knew that he was the Son of God as he told them that he was, if they would have taken that seriously and looked a little bit deeper, surely they would not have crucified them, him in their actions. i tell you what, it, makes me wonder about this idea that we don't want to have a superficial faith either, doesn't it? We want to know what we are doing. We want to know for sure that we have a faith that is rock solid in our confidence, that we believe and that we know what we say to be true. There's a terrifying scripture Jesus said that on that day, there's going to be those that come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and didn't we do that in your name? Didn't we accomplish so much? People with a misunderstanding of who Jesus was 
on that day will hear away from me. I never knew you. We want to study our Bible and grab all of the outside resources necessary and read the Church Fathers and pray sincerely that we're not running the race in vain. There's a reason why. Last week, uh, I mentioned a, a Hebrew scripture in chapter 4. And I'd like you to turn there, if you would. Chapter 4 of Hebrews, and we're going to be talking about verse number 14. That's where we were last week. And, and, and if, if you were with us last week, I, I suggested, I said, hey, you know what? A great place in scripture to read and to get a real understanding of the um, really the historical narrative of God's work in the world and sinful man and how it came through Christ and how it all evolved through that time is to read Hebrews. Did you do that? It was just a suggestion, of course, and I'm nobody to tell you what to do. But I just want to encourage you that if you have the opportunity to know Him more, please go for it. Don't put it off for someday. I only want to look at the one passage in Hebrews chapter 4, but if you copy the notes that are attached to this YouTube video, there's several um, passages just in Hebrews that you can look at and get a better understanding of what it means to, that Jesus is our high priest. Here's where we'll start. Chapter 4, verse number 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Here's where we are today, verse number 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Fully God. Fully man. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. Our weaknesses. He knows well. Our failures, he understands, because he's been there. But it says, just as we are, yet he was without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Understanding that Jesus came and chose to die and suffer that as a human uh, torture that he went through. But now is seated at the right hand of the Father. <laughs> well, that changes everything, doesn't it? Because each and every time that we stumble as humans, as our, in our weaknesses, in our failures, in our, in our, uh, just our inability to live a life that is of perfection as he did, you can just imagine each and every time that we do, those words are repeated. Father, forgive him. Forgive her. Forgive them, because they don't know what they did. Surely, when they get a deeper understanding of who I am, that sin will be no more. You know, that day 
that we read about initially from Luke, as it so often is, when hatred and jealousy are the primary motivations of mankind, the condemned is a better man than the accusers. It most certainly was that day. But remember last week when we turned to Romans chapter 8, the greatest chapter ever written, right? It begins, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. And so while I'm sure to stumble before this day is over, the response of this perfect man still echoes throughout the ages for the benefit of all those who huddle under the shadow of the cross and long to know him more and understand him in a deeper way. And for my eternal benefit, Jesus says, Father, forgive him for they do not know what they do. Next week we're going to pick up on this same phrase from the cross. Father, forgive them. And I hope that you come, if you're able to, and be with us as we uh, try to unpack this, not just next week, but in the coming weeks. If you've missed any of the videos that you'd like to go back and catch up, you can certainly go to the website, uh, thebarnabasbridge.org, and uh, you can look up any of those. Um, you can also hear us on multiple podcast platforms, um, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and others. It's not uh, in an effort to promote us by any means. I just want to encourage you to, in this day and age of ample resources, know what you claim to know. God bless you. Take care. Keep up the good work. Stay in prayer. Study your Bible for all it's worth. Continue to be the church.